to the open side. Karim Bete. Hufflegal here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We are pe- we are the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your co-host Mitch. Joined with me this week is Lockie. Lockie, how are you, mate? I'm very well. We are people. We are also the people's podcast. We're very happy <laughs> to be here. Uh, heaps, heaps of footy to get through today. We've got WXV to wrap up. We've got the Eddies, which is the awards segment, and tie a bow on the end of the year, Mitch. Yeah, very excited. We don't have Ando this week. Maybe he might pop his head in as we get later into the recording. Who knows? We'll see if he does pop up. But he has a lot of teacher stuff on at the moment. Very important work type things. It's keeping him away from rugby. So if we see him, we'll be lucky to get his thoughts on the games over the weekend. But if not, it's just Lockie and I, which might be a good thing some ways as well. Um, As Lockie said, we've got a lot to, to wrap up this week. So we've got WXV1 finished over the weekend. We've got a fantastic game from the Wallaroos to chat through. Um, we will do our awards for 2023, which we are calling the Eddies. And yeah, and then we'll just, uh, and then there's a few other games as well that we'll sort of briefly touch on that happened over the weekend. But I think generally that's it for the intro. Let's just, let's try and keep this one, I guess, a little shorter than some of our longer ranging podcasts and let's just get into it. Let's go. Okay, let's get into the fantastic result that was the Wallaroos' victory over Wales in WXV1. Now, final score in this game was 25-19. And the scoreline, as good as it looks from the outset without knowing anything about the game, the game itself was an absolute cracker. The Wallaroos were down to 13 players at times. They had a red card and a yellow card in the same period. And... To come back on top of Wales and to get the victory and to do it in such a fashion was just an outstanding performance by the girls. Lucky, I, I can tell that you were pumped. It was sort of coming through the keyboard as I was following you on the, the live stream um, on rugby.com.au. But how good was this performance? I, I was a total puddle at the end of this one. I was trying to file the report and update it constantly because it was seesawing all the time. And I was getting way too excited it was an instant classic i thought it was a seesawing contest i've already repeated myself i'm getting excited <laughs> thinking about how brilliant that game was but it just showed so much heart i thought um you mentioned the red and yellow card so eight seven at half time it was a bit of a stodgy opening term and then bang pessy palu gets the red card for a high shot on jasmine joyce the welsh fullback within the opening minute the opening two minutes of that second half. And then, bang, Sarah Nagama gets sent to the sin bin five minutes later for pulling down a mall over the line. And we've gone from playing all the footy but being slightly ahead to down to 13, penalty try, it's 8-14, and we just look dead in the water. So to come back from there against a really good Welsh side, don't worry about the fact that they had two tough outings to start their WXV1. They're a good team. And to drag that back, to still get a bonus point win after all that was incredible. And we'll touch on it now, but some of these players from the Wallaroos, like the Eva Kapanis of the world, even Pessi Palu for being sent off had an amazing campaign. We're seeing genuine star power coming out of the Wallaroos now, Mitch. But talk me through it. What was your reaction from this game? Look, that first half, uh, as exciting as it was, 8-7, as you said, was the scoreline. And it... It felt like a real old-fashioned test match that first half. It was seesawing. It was back and forth. There was a lot of um, contests at breakdowns and and both teams really smacking each other. Uh, I knew that the Wallaroos had an extra level to go to, that they hadn't played their best footy in that first half. Uh, And when they got that, when when the the red card was given early in the second half, I thought, geez, this this is tough. And as you said, then Naigama gives away that yellow collapsing them all, um, resulting in a penalty try as well, brings Wales into the lead of the game. I thought, geez, 
knowing Australian rugby and knowing the way that the men's team would have handled that situation in that they probably wouldn't have and would have probably crumbled, the Wallaroos turned things around. They put the game back in their favour. They started to play things tight. They kept things into the big piggies in the front. And Eva Karpani just took things into her own hands, went up an extra level and just basically did it all herself. She was just incredible in this, particularly in the second 40 minutes. And just when you thought she couldn't go any bigger, she scored the hat-trick last week against France, you know, player of the game by a country mile, and then you're down to 13. She picks up from the base of that collapsed mall when we're down to 13 and carries three Welsh women over the line with her. It was just extraordinary. And there was a fantastic tweet that popped out that said, um, Taniela Tupo is the male Eva Kapani. Yeah. I just thought, look at that star power and the comparisons there. And it's so fitting. She was so good. But, you know, the second half tries that we put on, Kapani's really changed the entire momentum. You know, we were stodgy. We looked down and out with 13 players on the field, even though it was just the six-point margin at the time. But as soon as Kapani powered over that line, it was this beautiful breath of fresh air. And that was compounded by really good use of the bench yep. from Coach Ray Tregoning. And we'll touch on Tregoning in a little bit because it was his last game. But the decision to bring on Laurie Kramer early um, and take off Faitala Maleka to add that experience, um, the decision to inject Cecilia Smith in fairly early as well really calmed down that midfield. Um, Bella McKenzie was playing really well, but something about Smith's ability just to take an extra breath not always go to the line like Mackenzie did, but have that option out wider really, really paid dividends because she was crucial to that last try that Ivania Long scores to put it out beyond two scores. You know, she straightens up, draws two Welsh defenders in, sends Wong over untouched. But those tries were brilliant. I mean, um, Arabella Mackenzie for the first try for May Stewart um, linked up really well with Karis Dallinger, who scythed around a couple of defenders. We obviously saw that cross kick um, that Dallinger put up for the contest for Stewart that Kramer then claimed the crumbs for. So all the tries that we scored were really varied and that's really exciting. We weren't just bashing one up the middle. You know, we had a cross kick try. We had really slick hands for Wongs. We had good counter-attacking ball for that first half try and then the brute strength of Kapani. So this is a multifaceted team that we can and we can score from anywhere, which is such an exciting thing to say about an Australian team in 2023. I think the funniest part of that second half was following along on Discord. So we had a few people involved in the, the match thread, which was good fun, and just sort of going back and forth. As the tension built, built in the game, you could tell that the the uh, the communication through the chat got shorter and shorter, but you didn't need to say as much to get your message across. And particularly that Laurie Kramer try where they kicked it across, they had the advantage and you couldn't really see her in the angle that they they had, they shot um, from when uh, Dallinger got the ball. And so the, the chat was just, no, no, no. And then, yes! <laughs> it's like... They had, there was a there was a gap left, and they decided to go right. And so, oh no, they've made the wrong decision here. And then you've taken the kick. That's not the right decision either. But then they executed it well. Laurie Kramer regathered and scored the try. And it, it just it it was really what was so exciting about this game as a Australian rugby fan is it's been a negative year, unfortunately, from the men's side of the the game. It's been a lot of games that we should have won that we haven't, and we haven't performed well. But this Wallaroos team is just going from strength to strength at the moment and they've built into this campaign. And in some ways, this was their final. There, there was a real chance that they could have lost this game after a really big upset win against France last week. And coming out at halftime, they hadn't played their best footy in the first 40. They then got the cards early on. And you, as I said before, you could very well see the team sort of crumbling and going into themselves, but that's not what they did. They played with passion. They played with flair. They kept throwing the ball around. They didn't just keep it tight. They kept it in tight when they needed to through that Eva Carpani try. But they also, as you said, they they passed the ball wide and they got tries to both the wingers as well. So they've shown that they have very many different facets of scoring points in this team. And the way and the style of rugby 
that the Wallaroos are playing at the moment is just so exciting to watch and it's really refreshing. How nervous were you when Wales got that late try? They go over through Kelsey Jones with four minutes to go and then they hit the 50-22 to yes. set up for a last rally more. I was shitting myself. <laughs> it's, I mean, credit to Wales. Like That was a gutsy play to make and they ex- Wales executed that perfectly. Like... Kicking and kicking for touch is not a strength in the women's game. It's getting better as the teams get more professional and they get uh, more strength and conditioning into their top tier programs. But they're not widely renowned for kicking for touch and making a lot of meters um, from the the boot. But that kick, that 50-22, was perfectly executed. And Wales had the perfect opportunity there to steal the game. But again... The Wallaroos just did not look like giving up and they held them out. They held them out for phase after phase after phase and then they conceded the turnover. And it was the rewards that I think the Wallaroos deserved in the way that they had played that second 40. Solid gold wall. That was all they'd been talking about through the the week's worth of presses and things. Set that solid gold wall. We do not want to let them have a chance. And to see that hold fast at the end of that final rolling wall, the ball's unplayable. Ref calls full time as a huge scrap breaks out yes. as well. There was so much, the so much going everywhere. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. It was so good to see how much heart and how much ticker there was in there. And I was, I was beyond stoked for the girls. You could see how much it meant to them to be able to back up and prove that that French game wasn't a one-off and prove that they are deserving of being in that WXV. Because we're going to look at the results now, how it panned out overall. We finished third. I don't think there would have been a single person going into WXV1 that says Wallaroos finished top three and above New Zealand. And particularly after that first week of the competition against England where we got pretty badly beaten and we didn't look very good in, in a lot of facets of that game. And on reflection, that is probably England and they are a step ahead of everyone else in the competition at the moment. They have been the leaders in the women's game for the last few years. But looking back at that Wallaroos uh, England test, it does, particularly seeing the way that the Wallaroos have played in the previous or the ensuing games, I think you've got to credit England for the pressure that they put us under and the way that they forced us into mistakes and didn't allow us to play the game that we wanted to play. Um, That win against France, that win against Wales has shown that this team can do incredible and can play incredible styles of rugby when they're allowed to. But when they come up against a team like England, who slow things down, keep it tight, really apply a lot of pressure, that's one style of play that the Wallaroos at the moment just aren't able to overcome. But in saying that, not just the Wallaroos, the Black Ferns also got convincingly beat this week. Before we move on to the other games and um, talking about the overall results of WXV1 and the standings, focusing back on this game, who were some of the key standouts? We've spoken about a few but who were some of the other players that really stood out to you and fans listening along? If they haven't listened to the podcast, if they haven't watched the game, who should they be looking out for moving into 2024? I think we've already stated the obvious about Kapani being that breakout Australian star of WXB1. For mine, I was really impressed with Caitlin Laney. I thought uh, I was quite surprised actually through the year when she shifted from the second row to blindside. And then from blindside flank at eight, I wasn't particularly sure about it because I was very much on the, and still am on the Ash Masters bandwagon, having that really punchy back rower that carries hard, that always makes you, you know, five, 10 meters over the game line. But Leany for mine, and this is a very big reach, plays as a Kieran Reid style eight. So it's set piece dominant, really controlled at the back of the scrum, really effective line out option and a solid carry as well. So I've been really impressed with her through this campaign. She obviously came out um, as player of the match against Wales, which is convenient for my argument, but I thought she was actually more, more impressive in the first um, uh, in the game against France where they had that huge turnaround at set piece um, from the England game where the line-out just went to total garbage yep. as opposed to France where they got it back over 75% line-out set piece and she was critical in that. So she she would be my big breakout from WXV1. How about you? Yeah, a player that's she's performed really well for this whole tournament, really, and, and all of 2023 for the Wallaroos. And I haven't heard her name mentioned a lot is Lane Morgan. And I think she had a really strong 
uh, season with the Waratahs uh, in Super W, and she's brought that and gotten better for the Wallaroos. And when you compare her skill set to a player like Tate McDermott or Jake Gordon, like she's consistently throwing passes to players' hands. And when you compare that to some of the guys that in the Wallaroo in the Wallabies, they're not consistently doing those skill sets as well. And so um, it's just one facet of the game I, I think we sort of tend to overlook is that she's just so good at doing the basics well that we come to expect that from her. And a lot of the attack in this game particularly came from the fast ball delivery that she was able to. And, and with the forwards, like that's one thing we haven't spoken about yet, but the Wallaroos breakdown and the way they were able to recycle that ball so quickly was really, really efficient this game. Yeah, M-, M Chance is another who had a storming WXV. I thought that, especially that uh, game against France, four breakdown steals, she was just a total menace. So big props to her. But someone I think we would all agree on, and I know Ando's mentioned it before, Michaela Leonard to step up in place of Piper Ducker's skipper in you know difficult circumstances with a transition from Shannon Parry um, as a your season skip and going through some really tough games you know, the big losses to the Black Ferns um, twice, a big loss to Canada on the road and then to England, to keep that group together and pick off two really important wins at the end Mm. of the year is a testament to that leadership. And I think moving forward, she is 100% a part of that full-time leadership group with Piper Duck because I think she's been above and beyond uh, Australia's most consistent performer throughout the year. And the best thing too about the Wallaroos and the way they've played this season is that Piper Duck isn't a shorter jersey at the moment. Like she's, yes, she's been named captain, but, and unfortunately she's been named captain under the leadership of the Wallaroos in 2023. And, and we'll get moved to that in a moment uh, around coach Jay and that he's not sticking around with the Wallaroos and they're going with a new coach. We don't know who that is yet. But there is a chance that she may not be named captain under the new regime that comes in, the new coaching structure. So she's really going to have to have a massive 2024 for the Waratahs to try and crack that 23 at the moment because all of the starting players for the Wallaroos at the moment are far and away the best players in Super W and in Australian rugby. 100%. And there's so so much competition in that back row especially. When you throw in Laney and Masters suddenly is back row options, it's so congested because then you've got Piper Duck who is not even in a match day 23 at this point for injury, but where would you put it? You've got Pessy Palu who shifted from the centres to six as well and has done a really good job aside from trying to take off Joyce's head. But there's so much, so much competition now and I'm fascinated to see how that internal competition through Super W builds next season. But we've got, we can't move on um, from Wallaroos without a quick word on Jay Trigoni. Leaves behind a legacy as the most successful Wallaroos coach in the team's history. He's got seven wins from, I think, 17 outings, uh, or maybe 16, but their highest win percentage and their most wins as well. Quarter finalists last year at the Rugby World Cup, first victory over France or a top four side since 2010. He pulled that out last week and he's gone back-to-back wins two years in a row, all while being full-time teacher down at Illawarra Grammar. That is just unbelievable. Yeah, I think the thing too, to, to look, to, when we look back on his legacy as Wallaroos coach, is this period over the last two, three years has been such a transitional period for the Wallaroos. They're not yet at the place that they need to be in terms of professionalism. But from where they were in 2019, where they played two tests against Japan for 2018-2019, to where they are now, the amount of test matches that they have, the amount of, you know, they're they're playing New Zealand consistently through the Laura O'Reilly Cup. They're now into WXV1. Like that was such a period of growth for the women's program that in some ways a coach that's come in at the program at the start may not have had the experience or the knowledge to be able to um, adjust the program, adjust the adjust the workload to account for Super W, to account for the increased amount of um, touring and game time and professionalism that the game has moved to. But Jay has taken that within his stride. Like he has taken this team, as you said, to a quarterfinal in a World Cup where 
coming into that tournament, there were reservations around how the Wallaroos would go because in their pool, they were the only unprofessional team in it. They were up against fully professional sides. They held their own. They've now gone into WXV1 and they've held their own there as well. Uh, I can, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. I just want to talk. I want to focus this on Jay and say how good he has been as a coach and also just the the person that he is, like the the strength of character that Jay Dragoning is when you, when we had him on the podcast, he was just an absolute awesome bloke to chat with. He had so much time for both Ando and myself willing to talk anything and everything, answer any question we had for him. Um, when you sort of compare it to some of the other profiles and personalities that are dominating the the headlines in rugby at the moment, it's so refreshing to have someone who is just passionate um, behind Australian rugby 100% and has just done so much good for the game. Yeah, and look, we've got to temper this by also saying recency bias is massive. If we've gone through WXV1 winless, even if they were by the barest of margins, if you flipped the score lines and we'd lost by nine and lost by six, this would still be deemed a massive failure. So the fact that these last two games have been wins paints a, ironically, very golden light on Dragoning's final year. We've got to bear in mind um, for all the adversary uh, adversity sorry that the Wallaroos program has been up against um, we've still looking through Dragoning's tenure and he's lost to Japan at home he hasn't won the O'Reilly Cup but no Australian coach has no uh, and he's also ever, the Wallaroos have never no, beaten New no, Zealand <laughs> no, no one has ever but you got to bear in mind 50 to nil in Redcliffe and then yeah. another 40 points banking in Hamilton not good looks and that's just this year we also had two blowout losses to New Zealand last year in the lead-up to their World Cup, but a good performance in Adelaide. We also haven't beat Canada under um, Jay across Pack 4 and have had a couple of heavy losses. So up until this final fortnight, it's been up in the air how mm. Trigoning leaves the Wallaroos. And I think because they've been able to put this out, and he said during the coverage of the French game, you know, was this an upset? He said, not to us. You know, this is something that's been building and building and bubbling away under the surface. So to see those two results and to see the way that the Wallaroos are now perceived in the public eye, not just insane diehards like us who love it, but to see the Wallaroos being talked about and being celebrated, that's the legacy that he leaves and he deserves it. He really does. Yes, they've had tough times, but it's so good to see that win um, against France, against Wales and Give us that golden tilt because, yes, we've got our recency bias, but we deserve it. We deserve to celebrate the good things about Australian rugby too. And he absolutely leaves the program in a better place than he found it. Oh, 100%. And I think I need to also just highlight um, the, the asterisk that has to come against some of those defeats at home. And I don't necessarily think that that's Jay not coaching well and the Wallaroos not um, preparing well for those test matches. I think... When you reflect on it, it's more of the way that the system is set up in that the players mm. were working full time and they mm. come together with a handful of days before those test matches. So it's, it, we almost look at these last two weeks and say, this is what this team is capable of. When we give them time together, we give them resources that they need to be able to, to gel as a unit, to train together consistently just to be in the same room. They don't have to have Zoom calls throughout the week to try and talk about, oh yeah, I did my you know, 50 push-ups today or I did my 5K run or whatever it is, just to, to do that through technology because that's where the system is in Australia at the moment. So um, there is a long way to go. But the, as, as we said, the exciting thing is that we have, the Wallaroos have shown that if there is investment in them and these last two weeks have gone to show that when World Rugby has put in the, the time to allow them that that consistency of training together, that they do definitely improve the performance on the field. 100%. Huge props to the entire team. It's just, it's so good to see. It's so good to be able to talk about our girls with pride, with passion and know that they are performing the way that they're capable of when they're supported. And there's one other thing that we haven't touched on yet. And I was going to say this last week, but the internet sort of cut in and out when Ando joined on for the Wallaroos chat. But... The Wallaroos are currently the Utrecht Shield holders. Now, Lockie, do you know what this shield is? Mitch, tell me what the Utrecht Shield is. <laughs> so there's two shields. There's the Rayburn Shield in the men's game, which 
and this is the the female version, the Utrecht Shield. So this traces back uh, every single test match that has been played until the very first test match, going back to the very first game of rugby. Um, oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, and I should I should know that. So I apologize. Um, but there is a great gentleman that's out there. We've had him on the podcast in the in in the past. So if you do want to go back and listen more about it, he's very passionate around this project. Um, but he has gone through and he has basically from the very first test match that was played. Now, the re- the naming of the Shield come from where those test matches were played. Rayburn Place in, I think, Utrecht Oval or some, something of that um, naming. He's gone through and said, okay, so England, the first match, hypothetically say, was England versus Wales. England won that, so they held the Shield and then they lost it against here, here and here. And so it's traced all the way through history to today. And we are the current holders. The Wallaroos have never held this trophy before last week. Um, and I was tweeting throughout the game and uh, it was highlighted to me that no team had ever lost their first defense of the shield. So no team had ever won the shield and then lost it straight away. So at one point it looked like the game was on the line and I was confident the Wallaroos were going to get the win. So I was tweeting in support of them and said, nah, never a chance. We've got this. We're going to hold it on. Um, but how exciting is it that the Wallaroos now are the holders of the Utrecht Shield? I'm excited because it's just statistically brilliant that someone's put this together. I would, w- I wish that it was real. I wish it was a physical thing that you could take around and celebrate. Well, uh, there is actually, mind, so there I- is a physical shield. He has made one. And he's made one. Yeah, so in the Six Nations up in, in the north, he's based in, in London, and so he has taken it to some of the Six Nations games and shown it to the players and things there, but it's not something that he actually gives out to the teams, unfortunately, at this point. So that, that's what I want to see it become. I'd love to see the Rayburn and the Utrechts become like a Ranfurly Shield equivalent. Yep. I love the Ranfurly Shield games. I know they're only for home teams, so there's that added spice. You defend when you're at home. You can only challenge when you're travelling. Um, but I think, just think it's a great concept. And the more niche, um, you know, stat nerd out things like this that we can go down, it just adds to the history of the game. It adds to the narrative. It's always fun to see stuff like this. It is. It's very cool to see that um, both the Wall- yeah, the Wallaroos have held it and the Wallabies have held the Rayburn Shield within the last year or so as well, which was exciting. Um, let's look at the overall standings for WXV1 and where where all teams finished up. So, Lockie, do you want to run through um, that one for us? Can you read that? It's a bit small. I do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zoom. I'm going to zoom and I got there. Okay, so England uh, are rightful winners, three from three, the only undefeated team throughout the cross-pull format, um, the cross-hemisphere format, sorry. So they ended up 15 points, a bonus point in each game, including their grand final equivalent um, in round three against New Zealand. Uh, they came out comprehensive winners there, and we'll touch on that result in just a tick. Uh, Canada were uh, second place. Um, they just finished a few with a slightly better points differential than Australia. So both finished on two wins, one loss with 10 competition points. Um, so Australia technically silver, if you want to shake it that way, but we're third <laughs> overall. Uh, New Zealand come in behind Australia, as it should be. Uh, they're on six points uh, with one win, two losses, uh, and two bonus points. France came away in fifth, despite being the team that knocked off the Black Ferns in round one. And Wales were the only winless side. Um, they did get a bonus point in their final game against Australia, but they ran out the bottom of the WXV1 ladder. There is no change, however, in this first season. Um, promotion relegation doesn't start until next year. I believe that Scotland were the winners of WXV2 and Ireland the winners of WXV3. So those home nations. Um, are knocking to try and get their rightful place back in the top tiers to their mind, Mitch. Yeah. So for those that aren't too familiar with this system, is there playoffs for seedings for 2023, uh, 2024, sorry, moving forward next year, or does it just stay with now? It just stays with this team in tier one and the teams that are currently in tier two. So there will be uh, promotion relegation between WXB two and three. I believe the winners of three are promoted and the bottom place team in two is relegated. That's going to be, uh, that same process will be fed into WXV1 later in the piece. I'm not sure whether they have plans to play off the lowest ranked team in WXV1 against the winners of two. Uh, That might be something that they look at or maybe, you know, fifth place plays the runner up, that kind of thing that they do in top 14. 
But it's just exciting to see the, the promotion relegation. I always think it adds a bit of edge um, to tournaments. And, you know, if we're in a situation, you know, heaven forbid, if the Wallaroos find themselves near the bottom of a WXV ladder, to see them have a, you know, host a knockout game or a promotion relegation game against an Ireland, against a Scotland, against a Fijiana would be really exciting, I think. So lots to look forward to with WXV. I think so far it's been a huge success in my mind. And the more we see around uh, streaming, promotion, access to the top type, top tier women's game, I'm all on board. Now, before we move on to some other, other games and the World Rugby Green Team of the Year that was announced in the last few days, um, I want to ask you, and this is a bit of a question from I haven't prepped you for, but Ooh, how, can, how can RA leverage this result from the Wallaroos in, in this first innings of, or this first outing of WXV1? How can they ensure that we can continue to perform well moving into 2024? I think we just need to pump the hell out of promoting home test matches, really drive uh, the Wallaroos as a standalone event. And to give RA credit, with my, even with my biased work hat on, <laughs> I thought the way that they pumped out uh, coverage, the game day experience at Redcliffe for the um, first Laurie O'Reilly game was excellent. The on-field activations were really good. Kids were running around. They just about sold out Dolphin Stadium up there as well. Yes, it was mostly Kiwis. Yes, we got a bit bashed up, 50-0, <laughs> but the game was still excellent. The atmosphere was great. And I think using uh, not small stadiums, but using boutique stadiums that you can create really good atmosphere at is key. So, you know, send a game, a Wallaroos game to Ballymore, for example. Mm. That's your home of, that's the National Training Centre, that's your home of women's rugby. Fill up the Forex Hill and get, you know, seven, 8,000 people roaring at Ballymore to watch the girls play against New Zealand. That would sell out in a flash yep. with all the Kiwis up here in Brisbane. Um, look to a smaller stadium in Sydney, like maybe a Leichhardt or a North Sydney Oval. Yep. You take it to Black Park. Um, you know, fill the hill up there or at Manly and get, you know, a tight packed crowd of a couple of thousand screaming out while we play Fijiana. I think that's the way to sell it as your fan experience. Um, that's just my take. I don't yeah. really have an ear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Make it happen, Lockie. Make it happen. But I, I, th- I, think that'd be a, I think that'd be a great way to do it and bring the fan experience back and the joy that we saw through, particularly the World Cup in New Zealand. It was a totally different crowd and I won't bore people by going over it again, but it really was a family first environment through that whole World Cup. My partner and I were over there for all the Wallaroos pool games and we just had the best time, um, you know, up on the hill in Fangarai watching, you know, back-to-back-to-back games. It was so much fun. Um, Even when we got heckled mercilessly at Eden Park on the first night, by a drunken Kiwi bloke who said his ex was Aussie and kept roasting us. You know, everyone else got around us and told him to get nicked. So we had a fantastic time. And I think that's the atmosphere that elite women's rugby provides. The key is if you're a rugby fan, get down to Super W next year. Yeah. Pay a t- pay for a ticket. If it's ticketed, get over yourself. Pay five bucks and see a really good game at rugby. As I promise you, it makes so much of a difference down the line. And they have announced the draw for Super W next year. And to be honest, I have looked mostly at the Waratahs draw so I can see where I can get to next year. There are The majority of the games are double headers with Super Rugby Pacific. So in some ways, that's a good thing in that if you have a membership, if you're already going out to watch the Tars or the Brumbies or the Reds play at home, get there early and watch the, the women as well because it's a fantastic style of rugby. It's in some ways, and particularly from this game this week, I enjoyed watching the style of rugby and the way that it was played more so than some of the games at the Men's World Cup recently. It just, it flows better. That's it's faster. Yeah, it, it's just, it doesn't have as many of the um, slow down tactics that, that some of the Northern Hemisphere men's teams seem to employ. Uh, it, yeah, you've, you've absolutely nailed that. You're not going to see the girls taking a knee for five minutes, you know, after 10 minutes, just because big boys up front want to scrum. It's a really fluid game. And the first thing I circled on that Super W draw was a standalone Reds v. Drua, a Super W game at Ballymore. Yep. So I can't wait for that. That's that's already top of the list for next year. Um, should we quickly touch on this dream team? 
Yep. Um, we saw through the final rounds, um, Canada got up over France and England sealed it with, I think, I believe it was a 33 points to 12 win in the end. Um, it might have been a little higher. Um, I don't want to rock the Kiwis, but proving that the Red Roses, far and away, the best team in the women's game, should have won the World Cup final last year, were it not for a fair red card. Um, and you've got to admit that was a high contact on Woodman Woodcliffe in that final. So stamping their authority at the top. But we've got to quickly talk about this dream, this dream team. There are in the dream team. Have we got a graphic up for this one, Mitch? I'm going to see if I can try and get it up. You keep talking and I'll see if I can Easy. figure it out in the background. I'm going to fill. I'm to filibuster. Um, so we have a grand total of seven English women. We have six New Zealanders and we have two French women in the dream team of the year for women's 15s. Now, makes sense to me that there's a lot of poms in there. They are far and away the best team. They were undefeated throughout the year. And we'll talk about that a bit later on in our eddies. But seeing players like Ruby Tui included, where she is a star of sevens and fifteens, she's only played a handful of games this year. And they've left out some incredible players from teams like Canada, from teams like Australia from Wales, from Scotland, like Francesca McGee is a star, you know, and I feel as though there's just a little bit of, well, all three of those teams played in the last day of WXV1. Let's just drag them all up together on the Saturday because we know they're here. It just seemed a little bit convenient to my mind. And the first player that's missed out from that list that needs to be recognised is Canada captain Sophie de Goody. She is, for my mind, the best player in the world without having to be the best player in her position, which is number eight. She's in her early 20s. She captains the side. She captained the last World Cup. She's their goal kicker on top of everything else as well. She is probably the most complete <laughs> rugby player in the women's game today and has been for a couple of years now. So what's going on there? Maybe I'm overreacting, but I feel like there's just a little bit of convenience to having three of the four teams that all played on the last day of WXV1 filling out your team photos for a dream team. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'd be, I'm going to put my uh, Walrus hat on here and say that at least Eva Carpani needs to be mentioned in a dream Eva team. Carpani. She's been incredible in this tournament and she deserves a place in that front row. I think Emily Chancellor for just the way she's played the WXV, but the way that she's played for the Walrus in the last two or three years, um, she deserves to be included in that back row somewhere as well. So those are my two picks for the Wallaroos and who I'd be slotting in and where. There's too I many poms. totally agree. Get rid of them. Yeah, too many poms, too many Kiwis. I get that they're two of the better teams, but also are the Kiwis that good if we beat them in WXV? I'm, not, <laughs> I'm ignoring Laurie O'Reilly. That was ages ago. That's ancient history now. <laughs> uh, we are clearly the dominant Pacific team and should be respected as such. But there you go. That's my two bobs worth on the women's dream team. Congratulations to all, though, um, we saw... Marley Packer, take out player of the year. Um, Catalan Viacolo, um, take out breakout 15s player of the year. And uh, we'll touch on a few of those other awards in our eddies later on, Mitch. Fantastic. Well, let's keep moving. So there were some other games of rugby played over the weekend. So the first one, and Lockie, you would have been happy that the your beloved Queensland Reds got a win here. Uh, they had their, uh, I don't even know what you would sort of classify this game as, like a... Um, the partnership playoff, I think in some ways is what it is, but between the, the Queensland Reds played the Wild Knights. Now the final score was 31-29. I haven't had a chance to get the highlights of this game. Um, I was out yesterday when it was on, so I haven't seen too much of it, but from what I've heard, it was a pretty exciting game. It was the first time the Queensland Reds had had a game back at Ballymore since 2019 or 18 uh, for a trial game. So it was good to see the Queensland back there in the um, spiritual home of Ballymore. And there was something like 11 debutants as well included in this Queensland Reds outfit. It was. It was um, It was a fantastic atmosphere. I managed to watch the replay um, over the Reds website a little while ago. And cracking tries. Um, 31-29 is a fair indication of a high-scoring and an intense game. And it came down to the final play. Uh, Saitama Wild Knights had an attacking scrum only a couple of metres out. And the Reds got a tight head and drove them back. I 
was totally stunned. I thought we were buggered. Um, but credit to them all. <laughs> and, yeah, first cap game for the Reds since 2010. I think we played the Blues way back when. I'm pretty sure I was there on the side as a 15 or 16-year-old, you know, waving a Reds flag and crying that we lost. Um, <laughs> but pretty pretty entertaining game. There was a terrific try uh, scored by, um, he might have been on debut, uh, Louis Wirchon. Um There was, who was it? No, maybe it wasn't his debut. But anyway, he scored a cracking try. He's a reserve halfback. Um, Harry Wilson busted up the line, another big eighth-man run, and put the grubber on, um, put an attacking <laughs> grubber on, like Angus Bell and the Barbars. And um, Louis Wirtshire ended up running over and scoring. But they were excellent tries from both sides. Just a good entertaining game of footy. The only downside about this contest is that the trophy, or the Saitama Queensland Shield, is so average. It just looks like they've gone down to their local op shop and picked up like an old lawn bowls thing and slapped their club logo. It's just dreadful. Um, I was hoping that they'd you know rebrand it and get like a like a samurai helmet style trophy and fuse it with a koala. I don't know, muck around with it. But um, yeah, it does look like a. It looks like the Interhouse Carnival um, trophy at the moment. So yeah. maybe that's something to look at. No, it was, uh, and from all reports, it was, a, it was a great game to be at as well for the fans that were able to attend um, at Ballymore. I've seen some comments come in from Twitter that it was just fantastic to be back there and, and a unique experience that's fair different to what Suncorp's um, providing for the Reds at the moment. So hopefully there's some more games at Ballymore for the Reds in the future. And uh, the, the same fixture last year was a lot better Biggest score line I remember. I think it was like 58-32 or something. A lot of try score, but there was a fairly big margin in it. So the fact that this game came down to the final play and was only two points in it is uh, exciting for everyone involved. Now, the other game that was played over the weekend, or this was played early this morning, um, Sunday time in Australia, was the Barbarians versus Wales. Now, there's two sort of things we need to talk about in this game. First of all is the game itself and the result. The second is that... Eddie Jones was coaching and he picked Michael Hooper and a large chunk of Wallabies players who he didn't include in his World Cup squad. And what is going on there? So starting on the first one, the final score was 49-26 to Wales. It, from seeing the highlights and, and the mini, it, it didn't really feel like a game that the, the final score didn't quite reflect how close I think this was at times. Uh, Wales did score a few tries very late in the game, two or three, that really blew the scoreline out. Um, but, yeah, overall, a pretty exciting game for particularly Welsh people who were there to see off a few of their um, long-standing stalwarts of the last few years. Uh, what were your sort of thoughts of this game, Lockie? Well, it's just a celebration of footy, isn't it? You know, it's all about Alan Wynne-Jones. He's played 158 Best caps or something for Wales, plus Crazy. his Lions. I might I might be a couple of caps out, but he's just a, a legend and in the truest sense of the word when it comes to rugby, Welsh rugby, world rugby. It's awesome to see. So this is basically his big do. Um, Wales scored, I thought, two really entertaining tries in the first half. The the one um, great pass between the legs, a bit yes. of a Carlos Spence style, like a between yeah. the legs. Um, there was a great um, attacking box kick in the 22 sort of cheeky, almost out bar in the bar-bars style from Thomas Williams to Sam Costello, who scored a cracking try. Um, it was just fun, wasn't it? I mean, the bar-bars, you know, they maybe could have won it, but also it doesn't Didn't matter. Didn't really matter. Yeah. Um, there was a Did great, anyone tell the referee um, in the TMO that this was a Barbarians game, though? Like, there was a lot, yeah. lot of times where the referee was just, like, slowing the game down, not allowing quick taps, looking at things too officially through the TMO, like, yeah, okay. He's he's like a centimetre off the mark. Just play on. Yeah, no TMO at a Barbar's game. But they don't know the market if they're putting TMOs on. Um, but yeah, some great tries like the Angus Bell um, line break grubber for Simeone Curavoli was heaps of fun. You know, yeah. even if the Welsh players kind of fell over themselves to get there and Curavoli got <laughs> the crumbs. There was a great moment where Izzy Parisi and uh, I think it was Michael Hooper they linked up beautifully for a line break straight up the guts. I mean, it set up Alwyn Jones's try a couple of phases later in the second half, which was the, the cheer of the night. Um, and then my highlight was seeing Tom Hooper embarrass the hell out of Thomas Williams. <laughs> he, he little Welsh halfback tries a goal line dropout. 
um, on the sly, um, just like a short two-meter one, and Tom Hooper robs him blind as he tries to pick up the ball, sort of slaps it down backwards, picks it up and just dives over, um, which was great because I've never forgiven Thomas Williams for being 10 metres offside and getting that intercept try yeah. against us in 19. Um, so that was that was fun to see. But did anything stand out particularly from this game for you, Mitch? Well, I think the, the interesting thing from an Australian point of view was that the players that really put in a big performance and probably... Um, sort of stood out from a Barbarian's perspective were out the Australian contingent. Michael Hooper, mm-hmm. Lenny Kitao, Isaiah Parisi, uh, Taniela Tupo, for the minutes that he played, he sort of came off and on a few times. Uh, I don't know if I'm missing anyone else. We Rob Valentini as well. Rob Valentini, Rob Leona. Yeah, Tom I wasn't Hooper. too impressed with, um, with Leota and I'm still... The jury's out on him for mine at the moment, but um, just the fact that a lot of the players that were selected by either Scott Robinson or Eddie Jones, whoever made those selections for this squad, um, Angus Bell, another one, Andrew Kellaway, like these guys have played so well in the lead up of 2023 uh, in the lead up to the World Cup, yet Eddie Jones didn't pick them or didn't give them big minutes in the World Cup. And he's now picked them for this team and they've stood out and they've played really well. So, I mean, it just goes to show. I actually saw, quite funny, I saw someone uh, comment on or, or tweet about this game and said, is this the first time that an international coach has lost to Wales in consecutive matches by 20 points or more with two separate teams? I was like, yeah, it's so, so probably brutal. true. I just I can't I can't even begin to imagine the the tension or the atmosphere behind the scenes in Barbar's camp with Hooper and Jones. The fallout from that and Eddie going out swinging, saying you know Hooper's not a good role model, and then to have him in a Barbar's environment, which is famously a, a positive, fun-loving, touring style. You know, get on the beers. They were dressing up as cowboys for <laughs> team dinner and running around. Uh, how can how is that relationship supposed to function in any way in that positive environment? The beers would have been cold because it would have been bloody icy. It would have been icy, icy. icy. definitely. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so that's the last time we have seen Alan Wynne Jones in the international arena. It may be the last time we see Michael Hooper play a, a, a somewhat a test, whether this is capped or not. Um, but you know, never say never with with Michael Hooper. There is still a chance that he might. Whoever gets appointed might pull him back in future for the Wallabies in 2024 or 2025. So let's see what happens there. Uh, is there anything else you want to say around either of these two games or anything about the Wallaroos before we move into our awards for 2023? Nah, uh, let's jump into the eddies. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a bit of fun. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the moment you have been waiting for, the Pick and Drive Awards for 2023, or affectionately known as the Eddies. Now, this is our suggestions for the best... There's five categories in the in the Eddies. We've got Team of the Year, Player of the Year, Best Try, uh, Breakout Player of the Year, and then Coach of the Year. Now, how this is going to work for those playing at home... Lockie, Ando, and myself have all suggested our picks for these awards. So we'll run through those in a moment. And then this week on our socials, you're going to have the opportunity to vote for your favorite suggestion. Now, you're not voting for Lockie. You're voting for his suggestion for Team of the Year. And just keep that in mind because we don't want Lockie winning everything. It's just he does enough of that. But (laughs) so without further ado, let's get into it. So let's kick things off with the pick and drive Eddies for Team of the Year. Lockie, who have you who are you suggesting? Oh, the nominees. Okay, so my nomination for Team of the Year are the Black Ferns Sevens. I can already hear the boos. Boo. Uh, and, and you're probably right, because why are we getting around the Kiwis? The answer is because they were by far and away the most dominant team across sevens, fifteens, club international, whatever you want to call it. They were superb. They won six of the seven World Series legs. They won six in a row 
In fact, I'm pretty sure the only game they lost was the gold medal match in the first leg, which they lost 26 points to 19 against Australia. So they went on, beat Australia in three finals, beat the US in three finals. Totally incredible season. And I believe they are deserving nominees for the team of the year. Mitch, Very well pick. done. Now, I should say, I, I forgot to mention this before. This doesn't have to be, this is any, any facet of rugby for 2023. Sevens, men's, women's, World Cup, Super Rugby. It can be anything across any competition. Uh, it's just who we think is the, that fits that category. So my team of the year are the Red Roses, the England women's team, because they have just been incredible in, in 2023 and incredible for the last sort of four or five years. And we're unfortunately that they didn't win the World Cup against New Zealand in 2022, but they they probably deserve to have won that from how they've played leading into that competition, through that competition and after that competition. So um, for mine, that's my suggestion for team of the year. Who did Ando go with? Uh, the absent Ando, our best wishes to him, has nominated the Springboks, uh, dual four-time winning Rugby World Cup champions, obviously defended their 2019 crown in 2023, they are the toast of the town at the moment, running around with Bill full of brandy and Coke and a pretty well-deserving nominee, I think, Mitch. Yep, that's fair. I, I, one thing we will say with Ando not being here, we can change these if we want, Ando. So you've, you've given us your pick, but you'll never know whether this was actually the, the team that you went for or <laughs> the suggestion that you put in. You'll have to listen to find out. <laughs> and uh, looking no, through but- his suggestion or his nominations here, He's pretty much aligned mostly with what World Rugby has already gone with. So uh, no. I'm calling copy-paste job from the outset anyway. But and he already tried to copy mine. He's gone too far. we got to put him through turning in. Jeez, he's a school teacher. You think he'd be better than that. Let's move across into so. player of the year. I'll go first with my player, and that is sticking to the same theme that Ando did with his team of the year. I'm, I'm, high, I'm nominating Sia Khaleesi. Winning captain of the Rugby World Cup for 2023, led his nation to back-to-back World Cups. Not many people in the world have ever done that. Uh, And just the fact that he has played so many minutes through that World Cup, he played so well. He was such an instrumental leader through that World Cup. But leading into it, he picked up that, what a lot of people were were calling at the time a a season-ending injury, but he overcame it, he got himself fit, and he played big minutes in that World Cup. And if there's not a player in the world that it will put their body on the line for anything for their team, it's Sia Khaleesi. Yeah, that's hard to argue with. He's also up there as arguably the sexiest man alive currently standing and walking the face of the earth. So big props to Sia. However, I will counter that player of the year with a bit of a thieving from your own team of the year. I've gone with Marley Packer, uh, England's Red Roses skipper, the inspirational back rower, a bit like Khaleesi as well. Um, Look, England haven't lost a game since she became captain. How's that for a start? They went unbeaten through Six Nations. They had a 2-0 series win over Canada, and they are undisputed world number one after beating New Zealand on home turf and also beating Australia and Canada with a bonus point. Full circle redemption after the World Cup. On top of that, her club team, Saracens, had a 15-3 and record in Premier Women's Incredible. Rugby before they, got, before they got knocked out in the semis. So across club and country, for a whole season, she lost four games. That's crazy. That's like, they're just knowing how to win, right? There's just no, no so reason a player should be that good. It's just incredible. No, she, she's totally stacked. Plays six, seven, eight, so good over the ball, scores stacks of tries off the rolling mall and steers that pack around. I think she's a superstar. But Mitch Ando has a different pick to play. He has, here. and he's gone with the official World Rugby Player of the Year in his pick here, and that is Artie Surveyor. Also one of the sexiest men alive and yep. fairly good at rugby, you have to admit. Yeah, he, he has had an incredible 2023. You can't you can't put it past him. That That's a good pick. Uh, and to be fair, if... If Ando hadn't picked him, I think one of us would have had to the way that he's played the game this year just to have him included. So that's very fair and well. So let's move into the try of the year. So Ando, I'll go with his uh, pick first. And his one was Eva Karpani's try against Wales in their last match in WXV1. 
Now, for those that can't quite remember that one, that is the one where she burrows over from about 15 metres out, has three players hanging off her and scores a try in the corner. Does it all herself. <laughs> I think 15 is probably an exaggeration, but it makes it sound even better. It was well, I was going to say try. 60, but I think for a prop, <laughs> that's just that little bit too much. That's gilding the little 100-meter try from the ruck base, Eva Kapani, only seven players on the field. Uh, that was I think awesome. it's been, and, and it's it's only been, what, 24, 48 hours, 48-ish <laughs> hours since that game. So it'd be gaining meters by the minute since then. That story's yeah. probably been told hundreds of times already. <laughs> Exponential. It's it's a good shot too. Um, Mitch, what was your take though? What was your try of the year? I've gone with the Wallabies' first try in 2023, and that was against the Springboks. Corabetti uh, scores the try. It was probably... <laughs> It was like in the first 10 minutes of their first game under Eddie Jones against the Springboks in the high veld. And it was probably one of the best phases of play that we played all year, unfortunately. It's where we have a line out. It gets thrown off the top. Alan Alatoa comes through, regathers it. He pops it off to Slipper, who then pops it off to Hooper, who passes it through to Cooper, who then passes it through to Wright, who then pops it out wide to Corabetti, who makes the break and scores. Now, not only is it an exciting try, a great try, Sean Maloney calls it home like an absolute champ like he does on Stan Sport, but it's also, I, I went with it because it featured in one set of play so many players who would have been influential for the Wallabies in 2023 had they given more game time, um, all combining together and being a cohesive unit as, as they can and, and just playing heads up rugby, but we just didn't see it again for the rest of 2023. So that's we also my. We didn't see it for the rest of that game. We didn't see it again. We just didn't see it again. Didn't see it. It was it was an awesome try. And it's a good shout. I really liked it. We're starting to slip a little bit of Aussie influence after the first two rounds of nominations. Um, yep. I've gone yep. a different route though for my best try of the year, and I've given that try to Rodrigo Mata, the Portuguese winger who scored the match ceiling try against Fiji. In that epic game, um, it wasn't even his try, really. It was all Raphael Storty, the other winger, who scored a great try to start with. He was the one who, with two minutes to go, picked it up down the blind side on his opposite wing and beat two players offloaded inside to Rodrigo Mata. And then Samuel Marquez was the man who iced that conversion. But I just thought that was such a big play and such a big moment. Um, for Portugal to beat Fiji was, you know, for all our love for Fiji throughout the year and seeing how well they went, watching Portugal win a game at the World Cup was arguably my highlight of the year. Oh, just the reaction from the players just has that, like, up there. They're, they were genuinely in shock they had won the game. They had so much belief that they could do it leading in, but then when they actually did it and won, you could see the players were sort of looking around in shock, crying, just so oh. good. And that's one of the best facets of rugby you just love to watch it when you see those sort of results come through uh lucky why don't you carry on who was your breakout player of the year oh, i do love a bit of carry on um breakout player for me was manny lavoc uh he was nominated um on the world list um mark talea was the one who took that official gong home but he hasn't got my eddie uh, manny lavoc's got my eddie um i don't know if that's a good thing or not but he's got it <laughs> uh he, he had such a good year and i think we're going to look back on 2023 with rose-tinted glasses about Hondro Polite, and rightly so. He's the one that kicked them um, through all those big quarterfinals. He, you know, he's, he is a superstar. But Manny LeBoc's the man who takes that mantle, and he played so well throughout the year with the box. Everyone was talking about his goal-kicking, but, you know, when push comes to shove, that Island game was a pool game, and that was the only one where he was off target. You know, he hit his kicks when he needed to in the quarters, in the semi. Um, he was five from five when they smacked the All Blacks at Twickenham. He also had an amazing uh, domestic season um, in the URC. He was one of the players of the entire competition leading into a home final, which they ended up losing to Munster, but he was best on ground in the semi final. And everything about Marty LeBoc boils down to that crossfield kick, the no look crossfield kick to oh, Aronza so was super epic. Yeah. And they're one of the coldest moments of the World Cup. So Manny LeBoc for me, breakout star 2023. Fantastic. Who's, who's um, Ando gone with? Um, Ando has gone with Caitlin House, the teenage superstar from the Tars. And it's a damn good shout too, because not only 
was she pivotal in their run to the minor premiership for Super W and getting through to a semi-final. But also she won a gold medal for Youth Commonwealth Game 7s as part of that dominant um, Australian team that went over to Trinidad and Tobago and just fed the competition tries. Um, she's going to be a Wallaroo. We have no doubt about that over the next few years. My only concern is keeping her in the game because she's mm. such a rare talent. Yeah. Um, I think she's still either 16 or 17, got the world at her feet. If we can keep her in the Wallaroo system, she'll be 18, 19, running around, winning us games at the World Cup 2025. Yeah, very much looking forward to seeing how she goes in the coming years. Now, my uh, breakout player of the year, I've gone with a Fijian flair, and I can't go past the incredible performance that was the scrum half for Fiji in the World Cup, uh, Simeone Kuravoli. Uh, he has just been... He's just been so good this year through his uh, season in Super Rugby Pacific with the Drewer that he came in and just kicked incredibly. Like he not only plays well, but he can kick goals like no tomorrow. And then so pivotal for Fiji through the World Cup as well. And then last night uh, in the Barbarians game, scored a few tries himself as well. And uh, just strength to strength at the moment. He's a real superstar of the game and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do moving forward. Yeah, Kuravalli won them that game against Australia in the pool stage. He kicked so well. He was brilliant. I, I would love to see him in an Aussie Super Rugby team, but I don't <laughs> think he's going anywhere. No, no, unfortunately. I'll um, I'll keep going with my picks and finish things off for Coach of the Year. I've highlighted yes. Simon Rawalui from Fiji. I just think the way that he's come in, he's galvanised this team, the way that Fiji played, the type of rugby they played, at times, it was their Fijian flair. At other times, it was very un-Fijian, very, um, you know, take the points when they're on offer, good set piece, grind teams down. The way they played against Australia was a completely different game plan to how they played against Portugal um, and Georgia later in the tournament. So uh, it would have been fantastic to see him and the team go a little bit further, but just the the character of person that he is, the way that he coaches um he's just yeah I, i'm really impressed with how he's gone into a23 yeah his his star has massively risen um so impressive to see and i hope he sticks around coaching in australia um and and i had the same coach of the year so we'll highlight who we thought was our coach of the year and then also the runner-up uh hard to call um so let's go let's go with mine i'm keeping this one bugger bugger rando my coach of the year was ronan o'gara Okay. Um, the Irish legend who coaches at La Rochelle in the top 14 in the European Champions Cup. And it's a bit of a rogue pick, but he's been in the conversation over the past few weeks as maybe someone that is looked to in the future as a Wallabies coach. And I want to put it on the record now, he signed to La Rochelle through to 2027. So it's not happening anytime soon within the bounds of that contract. But he's a bloody good coach. They've gone through this year undefeated through the Champions Cup. So they went pool stage, won four from four, and then round of 16, quarters, semis, won the final against Leinster in Ireland. That is huge. So they defended their Champions Cup title. And then in the top 14, they finished up with a 17-9 and record to get their second seeding. And then they only lose that grand final to lose because Roman Entomac is a freak and scored a 70-meter individual try. So to back up their European champs title, to go to, a, I believe, a second top 14 final and a third champions final in the world, uh, in a row, sorry, is epic. So epic. So Ronan O'Gara, he had that fantastic um, leaked footage of him doing his broken French in Iris. Yeah, l'opportunité est fucking enorme. And just <laughs> going, that was brilliant. So he's, he's my coach of the year nominee. And um, Mitch, you can probably speak to this too. The one that Ando and I deemed a second option. Um, who else but Razor Ray, Scott Robertson at Crusaders. That man knows how to win titles. I just, yeah. His last, uh, his last stint as a super rugby coach with the Crusaders, it's what, four on the bounce for the Crusaders. An incredible seven. dynasty. Or seven. seven. <laughs> I was... <laughs> Crazy. It just blows my mind that they're that, they're that high. Um, has he coached them for all seven? He's no? coached them for all seven. I think it's either seven Ridiculous. or eight because we're including we're including the, um, the Super Ad- Rugby Altimaroa as Didn't well. did the Blues and, win you know, that the, though? 
Blues won no, one of them. No, they, they, they won Super Rugby Trans Tasman. Yeah, Trans-Tasman. which um, and the Crusaders still went unbeaten through that and just didn't, didn't make the playoffs to <laughs> make the final. Um, and like started this year too. Um, they're zero and two after losing to the Chiefs and then losing to the Drua, and everyone's going, "Oh, Crusaders done," and then they just go unbeaten for the rest of the season and beat the Chiefs in Hamilton um, for the final. Oh, sorry, they also lost to the Chiefs um, again. Um, but yeah, they just had such an awesome run. They win grand finals, yeah, more grand finals than I've had hot dinners. They're just crazy. They're so good, uh, and just it's exciting to see what he can do for the All Blacks. Hopefully, as an Australian, there is a little bit of a uh, a teething process there, and it takes a year or two for him to adjust to this level. There won't be realistically. I'm so, I'm there so won't scared. be. He'll come in, and yeah. he already knows the team that he's going to pick, and he knows the players. But let's hope that Aussie can catch up in that first year and come somewhat close in the Bledisloe. Uh, Bledisloe 2024! Yeah, let's do it. But, yeah, incredible performance from Razor Ray this year. Just the the legacy that he has, he deserves every accolade he can get. And it, it's about time that he does enter the international arena. Um, yep. And, yeah, be interesting to see how he goes there. Uh, so those are our suggestions, uh, our nominations for the Eddie Awards of 2023. Uh, so if you are listening, do make sure you go and check out our socials. Do vote for your favorite person or your favorite suggestion nomination in each of the categories. And next week we will go through the results and name the winners for, uh, the Eddies in 2023 and everyone in those categories that did win. So thanks. Um, thanks everyone for getting to this part of the podcast. We will wrap things up shortly. Um, I just wanted to let you know what we're planning to do next week and sort of probably for the rest of 2023. Um, we've kind of come to the end of the rugby content. All rugby sort of finished now uh, until the sevens kind of start up early January, uh, or en- late January 2024. Next week, we will, as we've said just before, we will do our uh, uh, the winners of the Eddie Award. So we'll go through those. We're thinking we also might do a Q&A episode as well. So keep an, an eye out um, on our socials and we'll put out a post asking for your questions. If there's anything that you want us to talk about, from 2023, Super Rugby Pacific, Sevens, um, Women's, Men's, anything. We're happy to chat all things. We have had a lot of people that have been messaging us on our social platforms over the past few weeks. As you can already tell, the podcasts themselves have been getting longer and longer and we're trying to not do four-hour podcasts. Um, so we, we have acknowledged that we've received those suggestions, those comments, those questions, and we will get to them next week. So thanks, everyone, for continuing to get involved, continuing to send us your thoughts and questions. We do love hearing from you. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on our socials or if you've got something else that you, you missed that social post, just send it through on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever it's called now. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, that's about it. Make sure you keep an eye out, vote in the eddies. Um, sevens, the new seven series kicks off pretty soon, actually. I think they're off to Dubai and Cape Town for those legs before Christmas. So we'll probably do some social posts around it. I can't imagine we're going to jump on unless there's a, a double Aussie win or something massive there. Yeah. So stay tuned. This is the penultimate ep- last one next week. Really looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, thanks everyone for getting to this point of the podcast. We'll see you next week and we'll do it all again. Bye.